number three. John chapter number three. We were studying on Sunday afternoon concerning the new birth, and we were looking at uh, how the, uh, what the new birth is, the fact that it is uh, supernatural, the fact that it is instantaneous when it is brought to us. Uh, it is a work of God that is accomplished in us. Um, it is by uh, the Spirit of God using the Word of God uh, to bring to pass this new birth in us. Uh, we talked about its necessity uh, and some of the things that it is not. Um, in fact, that it is not something of works or it's not something to get religion. It's not something to uh, about turning over a new leaf. It is a, it is a work of God in us that gives us spiritual life. And that's, that, that's what the Lord is declaring here to Nicodemus. It is a work of the Spirit of God in us. And tonight we're going to be looking at some evidences of what the new birth is. Some of the things that are brought about in us because of the new birth. Notice with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3, and we'll read through our text again. Uh, here down to verse number 21, uh, as the Lord has this interaction with Nicodemus, uh, as Nicodemus is inquiring of him. He wants to find out more about what it is the Lord is doing. And he's trying to figure out who he is, and he's trying to figure out what he's doing, and he's trying to figure out uh, uh, these things about him, the mysteries, the questions that have arisen around the Lord's ministry. And so Nicodemus comes to him and tries to find out what's going on. And the Lord directs him uh, concerning this new birth. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? A little bit of sarcasm there on Nicodemus' part. He knows that's not what the Lord is talking about. But he's trying to figure it out. He's trying, it doesn't make any sense to him. And so he's, uh, that, that's our, our, especially for us men, we, we go to sarcasm when we're trying to, <laughs> trying to explain things away. And so this is what he did. He went to sarcasm. And Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one. It is born of the Spirit. We, we don't see wind. We see the effects of the wind. 
And we don't know exactly when it's going to start up. We don't know exactly when it's going to go away. And we don't know where it's going to go to after it leaves where it's at. It just All we can do is see the effects of its movement as it goes. And this is in reference here to the Spirit of God bringing salvation to an individual. It, it comes on them by the Spirit of God. They may not even be looking for it. They may not even be wondering about it at the time, but suddenly there it is on them. And there, there the Spirit of God is convicting them of their sins. It's revealing to them the Word of God. It's showing to them Christ Jesus. This What he's describing here is that, that spiritual work of the Spirit of God bringing to pass this new birth in us. And so we see, we don't see what it doing the work necessarily, we just see the effects of it, you see. We see what, it, what transpires because of it. Nicodemus answered there in verse number 9 and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and that's what he's used so far to give the example of what he's talking about in regards to the new birth, he's speaking from an earthly, an earthly position, he's speaking from earthly things to describe something heavenly, something spiritual. And so he's saying, I, I, I've told you these earthly things, and you won't believe those. How, how are you going to hear it if I tell you heavenly things? How are you going to react to that, you see? If I tell you these heavenly things, if I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things, he says. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And so he's describing there even his death that would be a part of his ministry, that necessary part there of his hour, as he would call it later on, when he would have to go to the cross and die in our place. And whosoever believeth in him, the Son of Man, that's a term that is used in the Old Testament in regards to the Messiah. And you can read that in several places in the Old Testament. That, that phrase or that title, the Son of Man, was the title of the Messiah. When He would come, the Son of Man, when He would come, that would be the Messiah. That's the one they were looking for. And that's the reason that the Jews became, in the beginning, so hot-headed towards Christ. Because He was calling Himself the Son of Man. And this was driving them crazy because they knew they knew the the, the uh, innuendo there that he was speaking of. They understood that he was using that reference to the Old Testament prophecies concerning Messiah. And so it, it made them mad. They they couldn't stand that that he was calling himself the Son of Man. But he says there, and no man had descended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. This is why, in other words, this, this, is, this is the reason for that condemnation. For light has come in, he says, has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And so the Lord spends this time with Nicodemus. We, Nicodemus goes away from him here. We're not told exactly what, what he thinks or what he does. We do find out uh, in the end of the book of John here that Nicodemus is a believer. And he and Joseph of Arimathea would be the two that would take the body of the Lord and bury, the, bury him in Joseph's tomb. Uh, and, and that he would only borrow for a time. Uh, they would put him in Joseph's borrowed tomb. Nicodemus would become one of the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this point he does not, or at least he doesn't tell us that he does. When he hears here about the new birth. And we talked about Sunday about what the new birth is, what it is not, how it comes to pass in us. And tonight I want us to consider some of the evidence, some of the proofs, that we realize some of the proofs that are found in us as a, a response or as an evidence of the new birth in us. The first one is, of course, a genuine trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Go over to Acts chapter number 4, verse number 12. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. This is one of the evidences of that the new birth has happened in us. Is that, that our faith, our faith is alone in the finished work of Christ Jesus. That it's what He has done for us. It's not what we've done for ourselves. It's not what we are doing for ourselves. It's not what we're trying to work up. It's not what we're trying to build up. It's not what we're trying to get a hold of, but rather it is what Christ Jesus has done in our place. That's where our faith is, is in Him and in Him alone. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. And so it is He that we believe in. That is the first evidence of the new birth in the heart of an individual. Peter here preaching in Acts chapter 4. He, he declares this statement to them. Go back up to verse 10 and read with me down through verse number 12. He says, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by Him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, 
which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is none other name. He is is alone as our Savior. He is alone as our Lord. It is only in Him that we have that salvation. And so one of those evidences of the new birth taking place in us is that our faith is in Christ Jesus alone. One of the the evidences that somebody may not be saved is if they're saying that they're trusting in something else. And there's a lot of people today that we talk to, a lot of people, that will tell you in the initial asking of the question, are you saved? Yeah, I'm saved. Yeah, buddy, I'm saved. And then you ask them when and how or what does that mean to them, whatever the next question may be that you go with. And it's there where you get all the varied answers. Well, when I was such and such age, my papa saved me. I've heard that one before. On several occasions. Another one I've heard quite a bit, quite often. My preacher saved me. Those kind of answers right there, right away, tell me. You don't know what salvation is. Now, in salvation, we don't know everything. By no means. We don't don't learn it all just because the new birth takes place in us. We can still be, know nothing but salvation in Christ and know nothing else about it. I I mean, it's all we may know is I'm saved. And maybe not know anything else. Uh, I, I love the example that uh, Alistair Begg gives about the man on the cross. And he says that that guy was never baptized. He never darkened the doors of a church. He never he never paid his tithe. He didn't do any of that stuff. He dies the, the day the Lord saves him. This guy dies and enters into heaven. And then he, used, he says, can, can you imagine the, the angel that's there at the gate and asking the guy, why are you here? What, why did, who are you? Why are you here? Well, I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> and he says, he goes, goes through and he asks, well, can you tell me about your justification? Can you tell me about your sanctification? Can you tell me? And I, I, don't, know, I don't know what any of that is. Because I'm going to have to go get my supervisor. And so he goes and gets the supervisor angel and he brings him back and he says, says you, he, he, tell him what you told me. Well, he said, do you know any, can you tell me about your justification? Can you tell me about, about your righteousness? Can you tell me, can you tell me about the holiness? Can you tell me about, I, I, the, why are you here then? Because the man on the middle cross told me that I could, I could be here. That's, I mean, that's all he knew, you see. He knew his salvation was in it was in Christ. That was all. Lord, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's what the Lord told him. We may not know anything else, but we won't confuse the reality. Jesus is my Savior. It won't be Grandpa. It won't be the preacher. 
It won't be because you did this or because you did that. Jesus is my Savior. You may not know anything else about Him. You may not understand anything else that the Scripture teaches. But if you're truly born again, you'll know Jesus is my Savior. None other name, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is alone in Christ. Romans chapter 4, verse number 5. Romans chapter 4, verse number 5. Paul says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Believing on the one who justifies the ungodly. That's Christ. There's none other that can justify the ungodly. Nobody else can do it. We cannot do it ourselves. There's no other person on this earth that can do it for us. Only in Christ Jesus are we justified. It's only in Him. It's in His finished work on our behalf on the cross of Calvary. It's only in what He did. He took our sins upon Himself. And they're taking our sins upon Himself. He paid for them. He paid for them. My past sin, my present sin, my future sin. He paid for them all. And He declared there on the cross, having bore my sin in my place, He declared, it is finished. He finished the payment. He he took all of my sin from me there 2,000 years ago. He paid for it there. Now, it wasn't made manifest. It wasn't shown unto me until 1984. That's when He told it to me. That's when He made it known to me. That's when He revealed it to me of what He had done for me. But He had already paid for it 2,000 years ago. Paid for it. It is finished, He declared. He paid for my sin. He took it upon Himself. He bore the penalty of it in my place and then in return gives to me His righteousness. And so when the new birth takes place of what He's describing to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, when He gives to us that new birth, what He is doing there is imparting to us His righteousness. He's putting it on us so that now we can have a place before the throne of God. Now I am able to go to my Father. I'm able to talk with Him now. That's what Paul talks about there in Romans, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse number 19 on down through the passage there as he describes these benefits that come because of being in Christ. Where once we are separated because we are dead in trespasses and sins before our salvation, we don't have access to God. 
But now in Christ, now because of the new birth, the way into the presence of God is opened up before us. And now we have open access to the throne of God. Now we can go into His presence. Now we can offer Him our prayers. We can offer Him our praise. We can offer Him our worship. We can bring to Him our petitions. We can bow before Him at any time during the day. We can come into the presence of our Lord and have an audience there with Him. Because, because I am in Christ. Because He is my Savior. Because He has taken from me my sin and put on me His righteousness. So that when I come before the throne of God, I can bow before Him, I can bring my prayers, I can bring my praise, I can bring my worship, I can bring my petitions, I can come into His throne room and He looks at me and all He sees is the righteousness of His Son. That which my Lord has given me in place in place of my sin. Even those, even those that I've not even done yet. Even those sins I've not failed in, in yet. He has given me His righteousness. Paid. Paid for all of those sins. My trust My trust is alone in Jesus Christ, my Lord. It's alone in Him, in His finished work for me. I'm not trusting in anybody else for my salvation. I'm not trusting in anybody else to keep me. I'm not trusting in anybody else to hold me in the right place. I'm not trusting in anybody else to continue to preserve me and keep me until the end. I know I have it in Christ Jesus my Lord. He's the one that my trust is in. This is evidence of the new birth. Another evidence we find in Romans chapter 8 is the witness and the indwelling of the Spirit of God in us. When He gives us that new birth, Paul describes to us in in Romans 7 that He puts in us a new nature. Now that new nature is described to us in several places in the Scripture. It's described to us as the Spirit of God in us. And He seals that part of us so that no sin can enter into it. Notice what He says in Romans 8, verse number 16. He says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We have have a witness from the Spirit of God Himself that reveals to us. He is the one that gives us the assurance of our salvation. He bears witness with us in our spirit. He reveals to us 
that we are in Christ. He is the one that shows us that. He is the one that gives us that assurance. He bears that witness in us. Verse number 9 of the same passage there. Romans 8 verse 9. He says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that, that's an evidence of the new birth in us is that we have the witness of the Spirit of God in us. Now, He witnesses to us in, in several different ways. Uh, first of all, He is constantly ruling in us. And that ruling of the Spirit in us produces devotion to our Father. Produces a desire for us to serve Him and to follow after Him. Verse 14 of Romans 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. So He leads us. The Lord tells us there in John chapter 14, as well as in John chapter 16, that He leads and guides us into all truth. The Spirit of God will reveal to us the Word of God. He'll open it up before us. He'll give us understanding of these things that we have before us and teach us by the Word of God. He'll teach us these things in regards to our Lord. And so as we study, as we learn of Him, as we seek out more, the Spirit of God bears witness with us. That's the truth. That's that's exactly what the Lord's done there. That's exactly what He's doing in me. That's, that's exactly what He's working there in me. And we can then see these things that our Lord has done. We can see these things as He's working them in us because the Spirit of God is bearing witness of them in us. Another thing that he, how He bears witness to us is the fact that He chastens us. That's when we get away from Him. That's when we uh, try to go off and serve self. That's when we allow sin a place in our lives and we start pulling away from Him. It's in those times when the Spirit of God's hand gets heavy on us. And the first thing He does is convict us of our sin. And we can feel that conviction. We can feel the presence of the Lord on us as He begins that process of chastening. Now, most often, whenever we feel that conviction of the Spirit of God, the wise Christian will say, Lord, forgive me, I can't believe I allowed that place in my life. I can't believe I got away from you in that. And very quickly, we will repent and have a repentant heart toward our Lord because of the conviction of the Spirit of God that's in us. Sometimes we'll, mm, no, nah, I want to keep going. I want to go on and do my thing. I want to go on and follow this direction I'm going. I want to go on and serve myself in this. I, you know, I guess mm, I can feel him. I can feel him on me. I, I can feel the conviction, but I'm just going to ignore it right now. And I'm just going to go on and do my thing. And that's when the chastening gets a little heavy, gets a little harder, to the point. That you go over to 1 Corinthians, and you can read there in chapter number 12, 
where there were those of the church there in Corinth that were abusing the Lord's table. And Paul says, because of their abuse of the, the communion table, because of what they had done to it, twisting it out of proportion, that wasn't showing what it should have shown anymore. Listen, these were God's people. This was one of the Lord's churches. In fact, Paul called them a chaste virgin that he had espoused to Christ in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I mean, this is still God's people, but they, they had so twisted, so got away from the things of God, so got away from the things that they were taught, and had totally made a mockery out of what the very communion service was to be about. But Paul reminded him, this is the reason some of you all are sick right now. And this is the reason some of you have even died, he said. We read in in Acts chapter 5 of Ananias and Sapphira. We have this prime example. These folks lying to God. Didn't have to. It's silly. I mean, it was all, all a matter of pride. That's all it was. They lie, They come before the church. They said, hey, we're going to sell a piece of property. And, and, and whatever we get off the property, we're going to give it. We're going to give it to the church. Whatever we make off the property, we're going to give it to the church. Well, they got more than they thought they would. They got more than they thought they would. Whoo! Here we was hoping for 20, and we got 40. Hey! Well, let's just go ahead and give the 20 to the church. And we'll keep the other 20 for ourselves. And so they come in. And they brought the money in. Well, first, and Nice came first. And he brought the money in. And he laid it before Peter. And Peter said, oh, was that what you got for your property? Yep, that's what we got for the property. Are you sure that's what you got for the property? Yep, that's what we got for the property. And Peter said, you've lied. And you've lied to the Spirit of God. And he knows it. And now these fellows are going to carry you out because you're going to die right here. And the Spirit of God killed him right there for that one lie. And the last died. They carried him out. Sapphira comes in. And Peter said, hey, and Nice is just here. He said, you made this amount of money on that property. Was that how much you made? Yep, that's how much we made. He said, behold, the men that carried your husband out, now they're going to carry you out. And she fell down dead. And they carried her out. God's serious about keeping His children right. He's serious about chasing us when we need to be chastened. Now, this was at the beginning of the church. We, we maybe not see Him doing that that often. Because I know you all have lied. I have. I know we all have sinned. And so he, 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 maybe he's not acting as severe toward us today as he did toward them in this moment because this was right at the beginning and they were getting all of these things going. But let me assure you, God still chastens His people. And He is long-suffering. 
in His chasing. And I'm so thankful for that. He might let us go for a little while running away from Him, but He won't let you go very long and He won't let you go very far. He will bring you back. He will bring you back. He didn't leave the 99 and go find you to go let you get lost on your own. He's going to bring you back. And He does so with chastening. Paul says there in Hebrews chapter 12, if we don't endure chastening, we don't know what that is to be chastened of the Spirit of God. And let me tell you, if you've been saved any length of time at all, you know exactly what the chastening of the Lord is. Because one thing we have in common, we're all sinners. And so being all of us sinners, we're all going to be chastened. Every single one of us. If you've been saved any, any time at all, you've experienced the chastening of the Lord. Because He's dealing with you as His child. He don't let us go. He don't let us do our own thing. He don't let us run the way we want to run. He convicts us. Sometimes He has to spank us, but He's going to bring us back and put us where we're supposed to be with Him. Paul says if you don't endure that chastening, he says, then are you bastards and not sons. So if you've not experienced His chastening, if you've not had that heavy hand of the Spirit of God's conviction on you, then you need to check yourself. Am I truly a child of God? Because if we are His, then He's chastened us. That's part of the leadership of the Spirit of God. That's part, that's part of Him bearing witness with us that we are the children of God. He's, he's specific about that. And not only does He bear witness in that way with us, but He also bears witness by what He produces in us. In, in Galatians chapter number 5, Paul tells us here in verse 22 and verse number 23, describes the fruits of the Spirit. And these are things that come in us after the new birth. They start, they start building in us. Now you don't have all these all at once. You might have, you might have one or two of them, maybe. Maybe, maybe, maybe these things you'll start seeing them come in your life, but they're, they're not lasting necessarily. These are things that have to be built in us. These are things that grow in us. And sometimes the Lord has to keep growing them in us. These are things we need constantly from Him. And these are the fruits of the Spirit. And He tells us there, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law, Paul says. All of these things are the fruits of the Spirit that are building in us by the Spirit of God. Now we read through those. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. We see those things. We read those things. And we might, we might be able to look in our lives and say, yeah, I remember that one time I was loving. Yeah, I remember that time I was joyful. I remember that one time that I was, had that peace of God. I remember that one time I was long-suffering with my husband, my wife, my children. I remember that time, my neighbor. I remember that time I was 
long-suffering with it. But what we realize is, is if we take an account of these fruits of the Spirit that are in us, that there are times when those things, maybe, maybe just a few of them, maybe one or two, maybe all of them, that we find in us that are waning in us. They're not as strong in us as they maybe should be at times. Maybe we're not feeling all the love that we ought to feel. Maybe we're not feeling all the joy that we ought to feel. There's, those, there's, there's times, there's problems, there's situations, there's, there's, there's turmoils, there's tribulations, there's, there's, there's sins. There's things that come into our lives that rob us of these fruits. And it begins to tear these things away from us and tear these things down so that if, if, if we can find ourselves, even though we are the children of God, find these fruits in us maybe waning. They may not be as strong in us as they ought to be. And so we are absolutely dependent on the Spirit of God. Absolutely dependent on the Spirit of God to build these things in us. But in, in, in depending on Him, we have to be holding on to Him. That's, that's, that's a, daily, a daily work on our part. Lord, I need You. Lord, I need You today. I'm not feeling it today, Lord. Aren't you thankful that whether you feel it or not, you can't get rid of your salvation? Because there's a lot of times we get up in the morning and we don't feel like Christians. A lot of times we may not feel like much of a Christian. But it's not our feeling that makes us His child. It is the work of our Lord that makes us His child. And so we need to daily, daily, Lord, I need You today. I need, I need Your fruit in me today. I need you to make me joyful. I need you to make me peaceful. I need you to make me long-suffering and gentle and good and faithful. Lord, make me a loving person this day. We need that every day. It's, it's constant. We have to constantly come to Him. Just as we have to go to Him every day in repentance, we also need Him every day to build in us these things, these fruits of the Spirit. He is the one that produces these fruits in us. John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. Another evidence. Another evidence is our readiness to accept God's Word. Not necessarily our readiness to accept the preacher, but to accept God's Word. It was told of the Bereans that they were more noble than most. Because of why? Because they searched the Scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul and Silas were telling them to see if that was not the truth. They didn't just take it because Paul said it. They just didn't take it because Silas said it. 
They heard what they said. They took note of what they said. And then they went and opened up the Bible. And said, well, let's just see if that's what it says. They searched the Scriptures. They wanted to find out, is this indeed the Word of God? And so this is one of the things that the Spirit of God produces in us in the new birth is our readiness to accept God's Word. We recognize this is what He's given us. We recognize this is from Him. It's amazing. I love it. I so love it. To see someone newly born again. And they're, they're coming to terms with the Word of God now in their life, experiencing that new birth, and, and watch the, it's such a blessing as they, as they begin to pour into the Scripture and begin to look at these and say, wow, I didn't, never knew this is what God wanted me to do. Alright, that's what I'm going to do. I, I never knew this is how God wanted me to live. Alright, this is what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live. I love seeing that. That's such a blessing. Because it's that readiness, it's that understanding as they, 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 they maybe don't know anything else about it. But as they go through and begin to dig in and they find what the Scriptures say, yep, that's what it says for me. That's how I'm going to live. Our readiness to accept the Word of God is that evidence that evidence. John chapter 8, verse number 47. The Lord says here, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, He says, because ye are not of God. He's talking to the Jews there, particularly. This is after He called them told them that they were of their father, the devil. They didn't take too kindly to that. But then he tells them, it's because you don't believe the Word of God. If you belong to Him, you're going to believe His Word. That's one of the evidences. Evidences that we are indeed the children of God. We believe His Word. It may not even make full, it may not even make full sense to us. But alright, Lord. You'll have to reveal it to me. You'll have to show me, Lord. You'll have to teach me, Lord, exactly. But that's what it says, so that's what I'm going to do. It's what it says, so that's what I believe. I can't fully grasp it. I can't fully understand it. But that's what it says. One of those things, there are things like that in our doctrine that we believe, that we simply, we can't reckon it with our minds. It don't make any sense to us. We don't have a reference for that trying to, trying to take the, our finite mind and understand the infinite God. We simply don't have the ability to do that other than what He has revealed to us. And so there are things that we have to take on faith and say, alright Lord, one of those things that I, I struggle with is the hypostatic union of the Lord. When He came in flesh, the Bible teaches us He was all God and all man at the same time. Now when you start going into His attributes, the attributes of who God is, and all these things that are the characteristics of God, and you start applying it to the man, 
Some of those things are hard for us to grasp. Even, even some of the things that the Lord Himself said about His manhood that are hard for us to grasp. Those things, I even mentioned some of them on Sunday concerning the fact that the Scripture tells us that He learned obedience or that He grew in knowledge and in stature before the Lord. Those are things that, that knowing that He is all God and all man, those are things that are hard for me to understand. They're hard for me to reckon in my mind to understand that He's all God and all man at the same time. But it's what He said. And so, alright then, Lord. <laughs> I don't fully understand it. I can't fully grasp it. But that's what you said. So that's the fact. That's the way it is. That's what I believe. There's a readiness in the heart of the child of God. Even, even when we don't fully understand it, there's a readiness in the heart of the child of God to receive, to accept God's Word. And when it doesn't make sense, what are we to do with it? Keep digging. Keep digging. Keep looking. Keep studying. But you'll find the answers here. This is where they'll be. You don't find them anywhere else. Receive His Word. Accept His Word. This is, this is a part of being regenerated in the Lord Jesus. A regenerated individual will not be found continually walking in stubborn rebellion against Christ. You might for a while. You might for a time. But again, He's not going to let you stay there. He's going to bring you back. He'll do it with chastening. Maybe that chastening is trial, tribulation. Maybe that chastening is just a good word whopping over the head. <laughs> you figure out, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. But He don't leave us to ourselves. He always brings us back. He always keeps us where He wants us to be. He will not let us stay away. And so that you won't walk in continual rebellion against Him. Another is the consciousness of our sin. Another evidence of the new birth is the consciousness of our sin. Before the new birth, we're really blind to our sin. And that doesn't mean we don't know that we do wrong or that we... That, that, that we're doing something that we ought not do. That doesn't because if we're, we're taught by our parents, then we know right from wrong. God has given us a conscience for us to know right and wrong. That's, the Scripture teaches us that. So it's, it's not to say that we don't know that we're doing wrong, but what the Scripture says is that when we do wrong, we're going to make excuse for ourselves. Or we'll accuse somebody else and say, well, they made me do it. The old adage, well, the devil made me do it. Well, that's been going on ever since Genesis chapter 3. That's what Eve said. Well, it's a serpent. He made me do it. He tricked me. Then the Lord asked Adam, 
Adam said, well, it's this woman. This woman you gave me. And notice very carefully, Adam didn't blame Eve. He blamed God. It's this woman you gave me. They my fault. And this is what this is what the lost man does. It's not to say he doesn't know that he's done wrong. He doesn't know maybe the depth of that wrong. He doesn't he doesn't understand he doesn't understand how that wrong is so against the righteousness and holiness of God. And how that, that, that wrong is something that is hated by God. He doesn't understand that. But he knows, he feels it in his conscience, the wrong. But then he'll quickly find a reason. Have an excuse. Or have an accusation against somebody else. Well, that's... I do that. I do that because of this. I, 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 that sin is there. That bad thing is there in my life because of this thing in my life. Or they shouldn't look at me that way. They shouldn't have said that to me. They, they shouldn't. They shouldn't have. They shouldn't have have acted that way. Or the the man the favorite is. Is well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Yeah, I ought not do those things, but at least I'm not as bad as that fellow. In the new birth, when we receive the new birth, there's something that the Spirit of God does in us that He brings to our understanding. Now that's not to say we still won't make excuse from time to time. And it's not to say that we won't make accusation from time to time because we will. And we have. Every one of us. But the thing we can't get away from in our spirit is I've sinned against God. I've sinned against Him. I've fallen against the glory of God. There is that consciousness of our depravity and how it affects us. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 7. I won't read the whole passage so you don't have time to read it all to you tonight, but there in verse 15. Go home and read it. Beginning in verse 14 on down through uh, the end of the chapter there as Paul describes his problem of sin and how it afflict, afflicts us, how it's constantly there and how it causes that warfare within us. But he says there in verse number 15, he says, For that which I do, I allow not. In other words, the things that 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 work out in my life, the 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 the, the, the stuff that I do, he says... I don't want to do that. That's not what I want to be found doing. That's not who I want to be, he says. For what I would, what I do want to do, what what I do want to be found in me, the the, the things of God that I, I want to be a part of my life, that I want to be seen in me, he says, that do I not. 
He says, but what I hate, what I hate, that do I. So, there's the recognition of our sin. But the, the key word there in verse number 15 is what Paul says there about it. But what I hate. But what I hate. See, before the new birth, before salvation, we don't hate our sin. We get along with it just fine. And we may recognize we ought not do that. We might feel bad about it even. We might even, we might even hate, we might even, I shouldn't use the word hate, we might feel bad that it's there, but we don't really, we don't really hate it. And we start making those excuses, you know, we, we see that it's bad, we see that it's wrong, but, you know, everybody does it. That's one of the favorites. Everybody, everybody does it. Everybody else does. But the difference in the new birth is is now those things that are sin, those things that are wrong, those things that are brought before us and we recognize them as sin, those are things Paul says that he hates now. He hates those things being in him. And he's not trying to make excuse. He's not trying to accuse somebody else. He's he's disgusted that they are in him. He's disgusted that he's having to fight against them. And this, this is one of the evidences that we have experienced the new birth. Because what we find is the longer that we are saved, the more that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we hate the wickedness that's in us. There's the consciousness of sin. And in the consciousness of sin... John writes there in 1 John chapter number 1 and verse number 8. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So because of the consciousness of our own sin, one of the things we can't get away from is that we're sinners. That it's in us. And we fail Him every day. We come up short every day. There's there's sins that we commit daily, and we may not even recognize them all. It's reason, again, David prayed, Lord, show me, if there be any wicked way in me, show me. Because David was well aware that there were sins in his life that he didn't even recognize that were there. And that's the same way with all of us. But the sins that we do know, 
the sins that we can see. We realize they're there. We know that they're there. And all we have to do, all for the child of God, we need to every day, it is is an occurrence that takes place in us every single day, we need to bring them before our Lord. Repent. Confess them. Lord, I've messed up today. Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, I did it again. I've sinned against you. And confess our sins before Him. And He tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. This is what we need. Now, understand, this is not a change in our position of who we are as the child of God. We are sealed. We are eternally His. In salvation, we eternally belong to Him. There's no changing that. But what is hurt in sin, when sin is in our lives, is our fellowship with our Lord. Not our position, but our fellowship. And because our fellowship is hurt in Him, what He does when we confess our sins before Him, He cleans us up so that our fellowship is then restored. So that we can have right fellowship with Him again that is not hindered by our unconfessed sin. And so we need to constantly, every day, and many, many times a day, come before Him, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. I've done this thing. I've done this sin. I have lied. I have manipulated. I have whatever. And bring our sins before Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us. I didn't get through all of it. But I'm going to stop there. And we'll, we'll look at the rest of them, Lord willing, on Sunday. Okay? Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed. Thank you.